0: Welcome to Highfalutin Ski Bump Podcast, episode number 275. Here's your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Boom, 275. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm a little old now. What the hell? It's like a, a jubilee and a half, jubilee and a quarter. I don't know how yeah. that works. Something jubilee-ish. Something jubilee-ish. Um, there should be some sort of coin minted for this episode, perhaps. Let's see. We started in 2015. That means seven years. Twenty fifteen? No, really? Yeah, we started in March of 2015. I'll have Damn. to check the actual date. But it's almost our seven year anniversary. Damn. That madness. That's it a is lot of mad madness. It. I think we yeah. have to have special anniversary with the established EST twenty fifteen. I think so. Yeah, well, I mean that's what some of our upcoming gear is gonna have to have the established twenty fifteen so people know what's yep. up. Doing, doing it, it, it since 2015. Still doing shit it. Still since 2015. Doing it. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> things have changed a lot, but many things have stayed the same as well. So thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. We have an awesome interview this week with U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame inductee, Holly Flanders. Boom. So, nice. Stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. or on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, untapped at Ski Podcast. Go to your favorite podcasting apps, rate and subscribe. Hit us up if you want stickers or you want to, I don't know, have an idea, comments, thoughts on the podcast, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Big shout out and thank you to our sponsors, Teracea. Teracea.com, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-A.com. Premium cold weather solutions. Their mission, best in class apparel that can be worn in any cold temperature environment designed with thoughtful features and fit in lots of pockets and always providing the optimum level of performance for whatever you are doing. We and we can vouch really for that. Awesome can. stuff. Yes. We, can f- uh, we also fully believe in the idea that good products can always be made better and strive to constantly improve, refine, and optimize all facets of our products. Use the code TeresiaBum, 15% off. Make it happen. Also, huge thank you Paradise Skis, paradiseskis.com. They make seriously fun skis. Paradise Skis is all about making skiing as fun as possible, whether that's shredding laps in Hawaiian shirts, bringing in the parking lot après, or getting up early to go for that huge backcountry objective. It's our mission to build skis and snowboards that allow our customers to enjoy every single day in the mountains. Go to their site, paradiseskis.com. Use the code SKIBUM15. 15% off. Boom. Thank Boom. you, Paradise Skis. Thank you, Teresia. Mario, let's kick it off the way we always do. It's time for Opry Today. All right, so I Today, you know, I was, I was drinking a little wine with, with food today, made some fish. It's kind of fish day, you know, I had, a, had some medical testing done today and I was feeling like, hey, I, I should be probably a little bit healthier than I've been eating and, you know, just just thinking about shit. Um so had a nice nice meal, a little wine. You got, you're thinking I gotta be healthier, I gotta have more wine. Get out more wine. You know, glass of wine they say is pretty good for you, right? So why I mean, not six out of seven doctors agree. Exactly. You know, it's just like the uh the Lucky gum. Strikes. Same thing. <laughs> That's right, Lucky Strikes. I <laughs> have <laughs> <laughs> the same odds as Lucky Strikes. And uh I said, you know what, I'm done with the wine. Wine was good, but I like a glass I'm probably like a two glass, maybe two and a half glass guy. And then I got to switch to something else. I'm like, I'm good for that. And then easing into something else. And you know, what hit, hit the, uh, hit the sweet spot today. A nice Guinness. Guinness. Well, you know, it is coming awesome. up on St. Patrick's day. I know. And I didn't even realize that until after I'm like St. Patrick's day coming up next week. I'm like, I'm actually planning to try to go out for lunch and, and drink a bunch of beers. I don't know. Look at you. We'll see if anybody from my real job is listening. I'm not really going to go out and drink beers, but if they're not listening, I'm going to drink a shit ton of beers at lunch. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to arrange it that way. But anyway, I'm sure I'm going to be packing away some, some Guinness. Maybe some black and tans. I don't know. We had a whole thing about black and tans a few months ago, didn't we? We discussed all the different variations and iterations and there's a lot of different ways in how you make it. Like you gotta have the special spoon, and you gotta separate it out. Like it just too much work. Chuck it in there. Too much work. If you try just pouring it, and it's funny. Some people are like, "Oh, you just pour it in there; it separates itself." No, it doesn't. It makes it all one consistency. You want that separation of the black and the tan. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to find a step. I wish I had a step. Like I, I love you know like in the NFL now they have like all those like brought to you by like AWS like new was it next generation stats yeah all like that crazy stuff oh they're Um, advertising the shit out of that too yeah but there's some really cool stuff that they have I wish there was a stat that would show me again I would do nothing with the stat I just would love to have it that shows the amount of Guinness consumed worldwide every day and I want to see the chart be like January February March April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Because I feel like March. I'm looking up right now. not a Guinness consumed daily chart, but we got to see it. There's got to be, you got to think like at least 65% of all Guinness must be consumed in March. Because I don't know how it is in your neck of the world or maybe in your part of America. Here where I live in the Northeast, people are really love being Irish, whether they're not Irish or they are. So they just say they're Irish. It's pretty much it. the yeah. whole first half of March. There's some sort of St. Patrick's Day every weekend. Like different fun. towns have different St. Patrick's Days, and they've got to coordinate. So you, so you have one like the first weekend, one the second weekend. Who's the Hoboken does the weekend Day. before, right? Because it's so crowded. The Hoboken one was like two weekends before. All right. They usually get then the first one... weekend in March, and then a couple other towns have the next one, and then there's the real St. Patrick's Day parades, which is like New York City and Boston, and so they really I mean they really own Irishness in St. Patrick's Day. Irishness. Irishness. they own it. Irishosity. So again, it says thirteen million pints of Guinness will be consumed worldwide on Saint Patrick's Day. Oh wow. How much? 13 million pints. Damn. But how much Guinness is consumed in a year? How much is 13 cool million You know, I'm trying to type into Google, and my Google's not working. You got to use DuckDuckGo, man. They do the track fuck? You. They don't track you, man. I think wow. Google shut me down. Sales volume growth of Guinness. So 2020, it plummeted 15%. See? Look at that. The Corona was destroying the Guinness. Boom. Um, was there some sort of beverage? Would, Corona uh, destroyed everything, let's put it that way. What would you like? call that? Could you make a black and piss out of Guinness and Corona? Black and piss. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. A black and piss. A black and yeah, piss. I'll have a black and piss. Imagine going to a, a proper pub in Dublin and being like, G'day! They don't say good day. I don't know why I'm mean being Australian. <laughs> I see, I I on above Jump in the morning to you. I'll have a black and piss. Lady. That would be fucking great. You go into like... <laughs> you start changing your accents around. You Go in there and just start talking Australian to them. To be like... <laughs> I will like say... I'd be so confused. I will tell you, our pal Nick, when... I, there's been times where I've gone out with him and he's gotten... he's He's had a couple. And it's funny because... He has lived all over the world and all over the U.S. And when he drinks, he goes into different accents at different times. Nice. (laughs) He's got a little bit of like Boston accent, a little bit of Jersey accent, a little bit of Pennsylvania, a little bit of West Coast. It's hilarious. Where did Brooklyn come from? What the hell? There's just, there's all over the place accents happening and it's hilarious. Oh, Uh, that's funny shit. Shout out to Nick. Yeah, I have no idea. All right. So my app, Yeah, my Chrome is just hung up. I can't search anything. Look, Mario's even gone now. I think podcast, like it's just off the rails. He just disappeared. So while he's gone, I will go into my app today. Today, I decided to go up to Hunter Mountain in Hunter, New York, and do a little skiing. The weather has been wacky in this area. Monday, I think it got to like 76 degrees where I am in New Jersey. And it it was warm. It was crazy. I live by the beach. People actually were at the beach, but it was super windy. And then it dropped 40 degrees overnight. Got cold again. Where I was, it rained up north by Hunter and Poconos and and way, way north up in Vermont, and New England. They got snow. So I was like, you know what, I'm going. I don't know how many more opportunities in this area we're going to get. Weather's been kind of not so great in February. So I went up, Hunter Mountain. Last time I was there was two weeks before the world just shut down back in February of 2020. That was my first time there. Hunter is an interesting mountain. It's got such a reputation in the New York city metro area, because that's where everybody goes from Jersey, New York, Long Island, because it's pretty much like the first really good mountain you can get to from this area. So last, so the first time I went was in 2020. I went again today. I never seemed to catch it on the right days because it was nice that they had a little bit of snow, but again, it was 70 plus degrees on Monday. Then it dropped, it snowed a little bit. So you had some kind of crazy terrain. A lot of it got wiped out because there was rain after that. But I still had fun. It's a it is a really good mountain. I mean, there's the trails are fun. They're it's really steep. So after that, what I like to do. I do these trips, because again, it's, for me, it's three hours each way to get up there, which is way too much. I know. Trying to remedy that whole issue. But I like doing something that I did the last time while also doing something new. So new, I found the cool little cafe, got a coffee after skiing. What I did the same is that I went to the Woodstock Brewery up in Phoenicia. New York. And Mario is back, but I can't see him. You there? Ah, Phoenicia. Ah, Phoenicia. I was just telling everybody about my my trip to Hunter today. Hunter. So trip last Hunter time. Biden? Hunter Biden, yeah. <laughs> there's a, lot of, there's a lot of white stuff on the mountain today for Hunter. He's in China, right? Yes. So I, uh, I went to the Woodstock Brewery. And what's cool is I went there same time two years ago where for the two weeks before the world shut down and it was a cool little brewery you have food there and when everything did shut down and everything went to chaos it was that place and all the people we met when i went with rich out to ellicottville in new york that i thought of all those little small businesses like what's going to happen to them are they going to be okay not that i really did anything for them because you know what am i gonna I had more pressing issues at that moment, but I thought about them at least. So it was cool. Last summer, we did a family trip up to that same area and saw that the brewery is not only still open, but they are thriving. They kind nice. of opened a second section up there. They have a whole outdoor area that's really sweet. So I went back there today. I had a good burger there. They had a smash nice. burger. I put everything on there, added extra, added bacon, added cheese, added avocado. I'm kind of like a goddamn savage. There you go. And they're on. I was talking to the guy <laughs> and I said, I'm thinking IPAs. What what can you do for me? And he's like, Well, we have this one that's more like a West Coast. I'm like, what's more like New England super citrusy? A little bit hazy. And he directed me towards this one. It's called Rip and Nice. IPA from Woodstock Brewing. Let's see if they have a description on here. I believe they do. Ripomatics are the roughly the same as animatics, except you take images from magazines or other sources to create it. Better hmm. for brainstorming that sort of thing. Those are words. Nice. Rip animatic. I don't know what the hell they're talking about, <laughs> but damn, this is a tasty beer. Not a citrus, not a pineapple. Very smooth. Six point. I'm talking 6-3 maybe. 6-3? I think it's 6-3. Yeah, 6-3. So just the right amount. Um, had one there on draft. See? Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Phoenicia, New York. Cool little spot. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a brewery. There's a pizzeria. No cell signal there either. which is kind of nice. I got to tell you. Oh that's cool. It's like even like get yelled at for like, you know, where are you? Why aren't you home yet? I'm that's sorry, really, I got no cell service. No cell service, but take it from Tony's Tony Soprano, there's never cell service around. Yeah, but it's cool because it was there like after skiing and it was tough today because when I first got there it was really icy and and nice and fast no not icy i mean not not even bad icy it's actually like really nice because good icy fast icy what froze over but it wasn't like super wet to super frozen so it was it was great it was when i first got there it was awesome but then it started getting really soft really mashed potatoy by like noon, because the sun was, I think it got to like 43 degrees by then. Damn. Yeah, and it's just, my skis, the skis that I was on today, those Armadas, all they want to do is go fast. <laughs> so, when you got that to get that mashed potatoy bits. It's it's buttery for a bit and it's nice, but once the car gets into mashed potato mode, it's not just, good. You're pushing so much, like you're doing so much work, and it's not fun. I was like, I was having a lot of fun. And I was like, I'm going to do a couple more runs, and they have a trail called I think it's Race Trail. It's where they actually do some of their like slalom racing. Oh, cool! It's, it's just it's short, but it's really steep, and I was flying down doing like nice big like super G turns. Nice. And I got towards the bottom. And you know, when you hit that slush and it just slows you down. Stop. You can almost do a full double eject uh, if your bindings aren't really tight. It's horrible. I felt my whole body like fly to the side and somehow I kept it together. I'm like, I'm done. To the brewery. Like, I'm not even pushing this anymore. I'm not going to take any more chances. Don't mess it. Yeah. You just messing uh, with it. Sometimes the mountain just tells you, like, we're done for the day. You know, it's got to listen to the world around you and okay. just say, it's time to hang it up for the day. Listen to the mountain. Yes. So I went to Woodstock. I got this beer. They're doing a great job. Thank you, Woodstock Brewery. Thank you, Hunter. It was a fun day today. Nice. And that's the scene of the original Woodstock, right? No, it's actually Saggerty's. Ah, oh, Saggerty's. That's right. Which is kind of right up the road from there, but that same general Catskill area, in the vicinity, a lot of hippies up there still. You know, a lot of. And I'll tell you, their Prius. I'll tell you, Hunter and Mountain Creek. I have never seen so many people drinking on the mountain. Nice, those two places. Like you nice. ever seen, Drinking. I, I think it's the kind sells it. It's almost like a Chewbacca sling, but you put like, it fits like six cans of beer and you oh. wear it. Kind of. I saw like multiple people with that. People actually like drinking while they're snowboarding, usually snowboarding, not skiing. Nice. Call them as I see them. I just, it is what it, it is. What it is. People actually like drinking, people like, someone got like pounding a truly at the top of the lift, like chucking it in the garbage. I mean, uh, it was noon on a Thursday. Pounding a truly? Come on, pounding it truly. Come on, man. Mountain Creek and Hunter, they they have to have some sort of battle royale for who drinks more on the mountain. It was so. Different. Let me ask you: Do you consider it really drinking when you're drinking it truly? It's kind of like the other water. But he was right? pounding it truly. It wasn't like he was like sipping it with his get finger it, out, it like oh, water. Like too, swirling around. Doesn't mean yeah. you're a man. <laughs> Does water have an alcohol content? <laughs> like I get one to have a couple drinks and having fun. But it's just... might as well just pound a pound a kombucha. Might as well just get a, a truly tampon. That's right, truly tampon. There you go. There you go. Throw that off a, try that off a size. There you go. All right. So with that let's go to ski news. The demise of the paper trail map. This is a very touchy subject for us because I know you're collecting and and I just, uh, I like them, so. This was an article that was on ski mag.com. Long a mainstay of the lift line maze, paper trail maps have fallen victim to a combination of cost cutting and environmental sustainability. So I like that they mentioned it in the first sentence there is, everybody says it's environmental stability, but you know what it's really about? Cost cutting. Of course. Under the guise of being environmentally friendly, we're going to save a bunch of money and you guys will figure out how to get around the mountain on your own. Exactly. So according to a report in the New York Times, resorts across North America are doing away with physical pocket maps and asking skiers to view trail information online. Free paper maps used to be a mainstay in lift lines and at base area lodges around the country, but that is no longer the case bale resorts 37 ski areas guests must now ask a guest services representative for a map california's big bear mountain Resort stopped printing maps two seasons ago powder a company that operates 10 ski areas including utah's snowbird now displays qr codes on the old map distributors the code takes users to a digital map aspen colorado still prints approximately 30,000 paper maps each year for its four resorts, but that's down from the former print run of 300,000. Now, I wonder, there's a few more articles in here about that. I go back and forth on this. So this year, when I went to Crested Butte, they only have the map online. They give you the QR code. That's fine. But you that's, know, the one that's thing I'll move, you know, the one thing I do not want to do when I'm on a freaking mountain or in a, on a lift, be pull out out your phone. phone. Yep. Pull Put my phone. So I got to pull out my phone, take my, my gloves off. Got to fucking play around with my, my phone, try to get signal, try to get a map or try to download. Oh, I didn't download the map before. So I got to wait till I'm in cell service to download the map and then I can have it on my phone. But at the end of that, I'm like, I don't even want to know where I'm going. I don't what about if it's like frigid out and like you gotta like take off your gloves and turn on your phone? It's just annoying as shit. Yeah. So you know what they should do in every lift on every lift, in every gondola, when you get off of every lift before you go on a run, have a freaking map on the thing there so that I can look at where I want to go and plan my route. Yeah, I like when they have the chair lift that have the trail map like right on yeah the lap bar. That's pretty cool. Places that have that. But there hasn't been a single gondola that I've been on that has a map in the gondola. Why not? Why don't they map have right in the gondola? Yeah. Or why don't you have some sort of screen? Now, I wonder how far are we away from goggles? Remember, like Oakley had those AR goggles a couple of years ago. Yeah. It had some like information on there. And I don't know if you had to hook up to your phone or, or how it worked exactly. But how cool would it be if you had like an AR mode in your goggles, and you could like turn it on, and it would almost give you like a ways or Google Maps of the trails that you're on? Yeah, but you got to know where you want to go if you're looking at that turn by turn, right? Like a Minority Report, you're like moving your hands around, like doing all kind of signals, and it kind of yeah. like zooms out the map, and you could like well, I like point when where you, you want to go a lift or a gondola, and they have the giant map there. They should have more of those everywhere because you know what happens is you stop and you're like, oh, I forgot where I am, or they don't have things marked properly. And you don't want to get lost, right? So it's kind of. Well, the giant map is great. The problem with the giant map, and again, it, no, no solution is perfect. Right. And I know Whistler did it, which I really liked. They actually showed, they had the big map, but they also had the lights for the trails and the gondolas. So it showed you which gondolas or lifts were open. Right. Right. You know, because if you because again, the map is awesome, but if you're like, hey, we're going over way over here. And it's closed. Like, did you check if it was open? It's like, oh, now we're here. We're stuck. This sucks. We gotta hoof it back up or whatever. Right. That that can happen too. So again, yeah. I mean not that a paper map would help you in that situation, but the, that that seems to me seems to be the best solution when you have the board with the lights showing you what's open. Yeah. So uh when I went to Snow Basin they do paper maps still. And I was like, so you sent me one. I was like, Oh my God, they still have the paper. So I got one. I sent one to you. I got an extra one. Had one from last year. I'm like, Oh, that's great that they're still doing it. And I, it's actually on paper. That's a little more durable to like water. I wouldn't say it's plastic, but plastic map would be the way to go too. I like that environmentally unfriendly, but really durable. It's like you get those like New York City subway maps, and it kind of like you flip it open. It's like the laminated. Yep. Right. Boom. I'm telling you, man. My collection of trail maps may become super valuable one day. Because I got paper, them all in a box waiting. When paper maps are no longer a thing, I will still have these bad boys. Well, we talked about it. there's like artwork. There's there's the guy that they did the um the book on James Nehu Nehu's. Who's yeah, who who did all the uh the map renditions and like there's an art to that. And yeah, it's not in scale, but it gets you the map on a single piece of paper that you can follow and not get lost. Like it's it's pretty amazing that you can do that. And that's gonna be a lost art. Then what are you gonna do? GPS, then okay, you don't have a map, then I don't know. The whole phone thing, I just don't like. So you get lost and you're in the middle of a trail. You got to try to get cell service, hoping you get cell service to pull a map down or hoping that you downloaded the map. And then you're going to sit there, look with your gloves off in the middle of the trail at your phone, like staring Mm. at your phone like a dumbass. Like, I just don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if James Nehu's retiring played into this decision at all. Again, you know, they want to be environmentally friendly, but they're also saving a shit ton of money and not helping you out. Like you said, have more people, have more. Because anytime they have mountain ambassadors, i love it. Usually they're volunteer anyway. But you ask them where to go and they're like, oh, yeah, go over here. And today it's not that great. Go to this other place. And I love talking to them because they're like all jazz and excited and they know the mountain. They're like, yeah, this isn't too good right now, but you might want to come back later in the day and go do that run. They give you a little advice there while they're giving you directions. Um, And they're super helpful. I mean, Snow Basin and Crested Butte this year you're looking at the big map and they have the, the, the information people right there and they're like, Hey, where do you want to go? And they're like, you know, they just start grabbing people. Like where are you, where are you looking to go? And they'll start pointing shit out on the map. and I love that. You know, it's that interactivity mm-hmm. that you get with somebody that knows the mountain. Yeah. It's nice. And, and you know, of course, Vale is going to use that cost saving tip because stockholders first skiers last that's that's their motto we're all about saving money just and just an fyi for any of you mtn stockholders they started the year at 321 they're currently at 244 Ooh, taking a big whop in the nuts hope you enjoyed your 20 percent off epic pass there you go haircut <laughs> yeah so i don't know i i missed the paper map paper trail map i'm a fan it's it's one of those things, maybe you don't want to have like five paper trail maps when you go out. Like it's great, you know, just take one when you need it, but it's also a nice souvenir that you don't have to pay for it. You get it. You bring oh, it home. you paid for it. You paid for it. You in, paid yeah. for it. The price of lift tickets. You paid for it. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah first, that's, that's a nice keepsake. I first experienced that last year at Breckenridge, the, uh, the yeah. whole QR code thing. Cause I asked the guy, I'm like, Oh, can I have a, uh, a trail map? They're like, well, we're just doing QR codes now. Yeah, like you can go and down to the guest like, services, and I'm like, eh, I'm not gonna do that. You look at them like I can't process, like what? Yeah, I just yeah. paid a hundred and eighty nine dollars for a lift ticket, and you can't give me a goddamn trail map. Yeah. You want to save the environment that bad? How about saving the environment by like not charging me as much, and then saying, hey, you know what? Got a QR code. Thanks. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be a better way. We'll figure it out. I think the AR on the goggles could be the way to go. Then again, you got to have it charged. You got to have some equipment. It's a bunch of. You got a little happened, solar panel like, on your helmet. Whatever happened to looking at a fucking map, putting it tucking it away in your pocket in case you need it, and then just skiing? What about bootleg? no technology, nothing? How about some bootleg trail maps? That oh, that that'll be better. we we'll be in the we'll be in the uh, parking lot. Yo man, I got your trail map right here. Yo, my man, you need a trail map. Trail map. Ten dollars. Twenty dollars. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Twenty dollars. Oh, no, you jack it up, like $50. And you, and you start selling, like, bootleg ones. They're, like, all messed up, like, the <laughs> wrong stuff. You're like, there's no trail that does this. But that'll be great. You'll keep all the private stash stuff, like, hidden. Like, man, I bought this trail map. He didn't say anything about this. No, no, that's unmarked on that map. You, <laughs> yeah. you got to pay the extra Yo, money. That's the $10 this map. map. This is the that's $20 right. map, which actually has all the stuff on it. That's right. It's only from the one guy in the corner that everybody, like, it's a little, little scam you got going. I would not be surprised if they did start selling the trail maps for like a buck or two bucks in the Why future. Not? I got pretzels and trail maps. Well, think right about right it. In the park you always buy yourself online beforehand. It's like they have a checkbox there. It's like, Hey, just have it checked by default. And it's like five bucks for a trail map. Yeah. Or that I love it. Like you don't print out the trim up. But it's like you could print your own. Okay. So now I got to have a printer and I got to buy paper and print their shit in there and print this thing. And you're not going to run that ink or something's going to happen. you are be like, I got this map that just got <laughs> wet and all of a sudden just ran everywhere. Like it, it's Can't just see s- nothing. Silliness. Absolute yeah. silliness. Well, speaking of silliness, <laughs> what about this next story? Boom. Vale police have cited 31 people for <laughs> lift ticket fraud this season. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Max bad Fine. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? <laughs> Max Fine is $999. Otherwise known as 666 upside down. What you gonna do if the pick on the pass ain't you? Bad boys, bad boys. What Damn. you gonna do? What you or gonna do if the pick on the pass jail. ain't you? <laughs> Damn. 180 days in jail. So, course, 180 available. days in fucking jail for That's using crazy. someone else's Epic pass. That That's is beyond bullshit. insanity. That's beyond bullshit. So according to the Vale Police, in a press release, lift ticket fraud is on the rise as 31 people have been cited for deceptive use as of March 8th compared to 27 total citations for the entire previous ski, ski season. That was the beauty of masks. Yeah, exactly. The beauty of masks is they couldn't tell if it was you or not. Yeah. So CBS 4 reports Vale Police are working in conjuncture. In conjunction. Juncture with Vail Mountain to host to bust fraudulent pass users. Investigators say that the weeks leading up to the end of the season are typically the busiest times for ski pass fraud. As technology improves every year, so does the difficulty in of using a borrowed pass. Vail police want the public to know that this is a crime and has a pretty severe punishment if fraudulent use is identified. Suspects are either issued a summons into court and released or arrested depending on the circumstance. The charge can carry a maximum fine of up to $999, the devil's number upside down, and or 180 days in jail. Uh, The original pass holder doesn't avoid state law either they can have their ski pass revoked as a result of its misuse so what if someone stole your pass yeah then you get screwed not what you always say dude i didn't know it was gone someone stole it I, I don't know i had it in my ski bag and just gone i don't know what happened man somebody jacked it i, I figured i was gonna look for it this week see if i just misplaced it but now what are they doing yeah. so how, how are they actually identifying people because i know I think when you scan your pass, it shows a picture of you. Like It shows your picture from your pass, right? If you look close enough, you know, it's like a fake ID. But again, if you have like your goggles on and a mask. Right. Now, if you were borrowing someone's goddamn pass, wouldn't you wear dark goggles and a face mask when you scanned it and went through the lift line? Like, wouldn't that just like, would, wouldn't you be smart enough to at least do at that? At the end of the day... Does it make a shit of a difference? Somebody paid for that pass to be used. You're not getting 50 people using one pass in the same day. You're getting one pass being used in the same day. They got their money. They're not at a loss. doesn't really matter that you got to go and start charging people with stuff. I don't know. It just doesn't seem cool. Wasn't there a pass that was transferable? Yes, that would be the gold pass. The USA which is the baller gold. pass. That's, That's Right. right.
1: Not transferable. Only
0: does it give you unlimited, exclusive, and fully transferable access to more than 250 <laughs> resorts in the USA? That's the, that's the non ghetto pass. That's the baller ass pass. You buy a few of those but be like, hey, you want to use my pass? I'll, I'll loan it to you. If you're willing to part with it and give somebody that gold pass and hope that they don't take off with it, <laughs> then go right ahead. Well, you know it's what? Transferable. And I, I, you know what? I am making a stance right now. I don't believe inflation is real because the US gold pass is still only $12,500. If inflation was real, it would be up to 15,000 by now. Dude, it is a bargain. It's a bargain. It's when bad. a loaf of bread is $8,000 and this thing is still 125, you're going to go buying this pass was the best thing I ever did. And it's a 125 donation to the USA ski team. So you get a, a tax write off, don't you? Perhaps yeah. you can write some of that off on taxes or all of it. I don't know. You can write it off. Write it off, baby. It Every trip off. is sponsoring the USA ski team and snowboard team. Why can't you say like the entire trip is, you know, the hotel, the lodging, the, if you're a tax professional, write to us and tell us how wrong that is. Because <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking you write it all off. And this is why I don't do my own taxes. <laughs> I would just write everything off. Just write it off. It's a write-off. It's a goddamn write-off. I think it is. Hey, anybody want to go have a meal while I'm on my trip? Because that's part of this supporting <laughs> right the off. USA ski team. Yeah. So if you're going to use someone else's pass, just please be smart. Just put on dark goggles and a, and a face mask, and no one's going to know it's you. You also got to want to look like them, right? Like, you know, I'm not always this Caucasian looking. You want to kind of look like the part. I don't know. Well, the moral of the story is don't be too weird looking. Don't be too weird looking. Yeah, Just be good looking and borrow a good looking person's pass and you'll be fine. That's right. But again, you wear a dark goggles, you put on a face mask, you go through the thing. They won't even know. It's really cold out. You wear a whole face mask. Wear the Cthulhu mask that like I had. Nobody knows who's under there. No Cthulhu, Cthulhu. He's, yeah, he's just freaking skiing. All right, the dark lord Cthulhu is underneath there. It's fine, that's right. In the picture, Cthulhu 180 <laughs> days in jail. It's Who bullshit. decided that? Like, dude, man, I'm serving ridiculous? hard. You're fucking, you're doing Oz because you fucking stole a list pass. <laughs> Come on, this is like cool hand Luke stuff here. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you're getting, you like protecting your butt cheeks, not dropping the soap. Cause you stole a lift pass. Really? You go to a supermarket 180 Supermax? days in jail or 000, go a thousand bucks. I'd be like, yeah, here's the money. Like I'll just <laughs> get the money to avoid going to jail. Better watch out. You go to Hunter, you steal that pass going to Rikers. <laughs> <laughs> there was no photo necessary for Hunter. See, they, cause they know they're like, why are we going to be this, this, critical somebody paid for the pass it's but legitimate. also too what is it it we says sold like, the ticket but it also says depending on the circumstances what does that mean so let me ask so like it whenever su- they go if it's a, a tuesday case. it's all right if it's a sunday it's not okay like what does that depending on the circumstances mean yeah right so let me ask this i don't like, like any of this so whenever you go to a lawsuit, right, they, they start talking about damages. What are the damages in you using somebody else's pass when you're not using it at the same time? You didn't buy a $209 a day lift ticket at Vail. But my friend did, and I'm using his lift ticket. While you say it's not transferable, you're not at a loss because it's still the one ticket that was paid for. It's all these idiots trying to cover up. They're all trying to get the money back that they... <laughs> didn't make when they sold the epic passes at 20% discounts. And they're trying to make that up on the uh on the backside. And now it's the ghetto pass. Do the USA ski team get the gold pass? Non-ghetto. Like a a grown-up. Do whatever you want to do. Hey, you know what? My pass is in my car. Just open my car, just grab the pass and go ahead and jet out to the ski area. Whichever one you want. Because it's good everywhere. Everyone. Everywhere. Everyone. I would have that thing. Like I'd be mailing to people. Hey, you want a contest? <laughs> it's like a chain letter. You got to mail it to your next friend. That'd be great. <laughs> Let's get like a chain letter pass that you just mail around. That would be pretty awesome. That would be pretty cool. See if you could get used every day of the season, every freaking day, like <laughs> however many days you can get out of it. Hire a personal courier to take it to people. You could actually have two or three people use it a day. We're like, yeah, you only ski half of the day, give it to this next person for the other half. Yeah, one season I want to get and then the night US, one season I want to get the US Gold Pass. Oh, yeah, just to say I got, I got it. You gotta, you gotta plan that out though. There's gotta yeah, be, yeah, that's gotta be like the year you retire. Does your company offer sabbatical? My, com- my company doesn't offer anything, I'm not gonna have a company. My company is gonna be ski bump com. Boom, I so hear you- about companies offer sabbatical, and I'm like. That's freaking awesome! I, I've I've heard shit like when I was that time, it was year sabbatical after like twenty years. I'm like, so you get a one year paid sabbatical. I'm like, why wouldn't you ski the entire year? That's well, when you get the gold pass. That's the year to do it. Like I was skiing a, everywhere. I went to a uh, a conference a bunch of years ago, and there was this one like famous design studio. Every I think every five years they would take off a year. Like nice. I would take off a year and they would that's do their own, their own thing. I guess. I just heard them. about something. 10 years, you get a month paid sabbatical. I'm like, well, that's not too bad. You could chain that together with some vacation time, maybe a leave of like absence. Two months, yeah. You know, oh, I had another baby that you're never going to see or have yeah. proof of, but, you know, I need that chained onto my sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, if you don't have any kids, why can't you take a you know, uh, a, a parental leave of absence just to go skiing. Right. I, I don't know how you justify that, but. uh Well, mother Nature's a mother and I'm going to, I'm baby. So I'm watching my own baby. I'm watching myself, watch myself ski. <laughs> if you can get HR to sign off on it, God bless you. HR nothing. I'm taking this to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. That's right. Because we got unqualified people getting elected to the Supreme Court now. <laughs> so I don't give a shit. I'm just going right up there. Going Do it. for it. Going for it. With all the other shit they got going on, they're probably like, yeah, yeah, sure. This is going right yeah. through. Just shut him up. Shut yeah. him up. Get him out of here. How is he going to leave? Just tell him yes. Okay, yeah. I'm out. Well, speaking of going for it, there's a company called Dolagon, which, if you kind of look like at something it, out of freaking The Hobbit, right? Well, they took the gun from Gondola and put it behind the Dola they're doling out the gondola autonomous ski lift vehicle a self-driving personal snowcat brings you to the powder the dolagon autonomous vehicle picks skiers up at any base location and drives them to higher elevations allowing access to on-trail and backcountry ski areas Once disembarked, at top, skiers give Dolagon the command to begin its descent. While skiers enjoy their run, Dolagon drives itself down the mountain to meet them at the bottom. Nice. It looks just awesome and the video is great, but I could see this plowing over a bunch of skiers one day. I wonder what sort of safety features it has. None. Absolutely none. Absolutely and there none. shouldn't be any. It yeah. should just be the Dolagon's running. Everybody run for your goddamn <laughs> life. Yeah. <laughs> it's out of control. Run, when run. you're going to have goal, uh, Dolagon Wranglers who are going to be like <laughs> right. on like, you know, like snowmobiles with That's like right. assos, like trying to like, yeah. grab the steering wheel. Come and on, big boy. One. We got them. whoa, whoa. <laughs> Now, what this thing is, it looks, you've probably seen these at ski resorts. They look kind of like. Almost like kind of like jacked up golf carts that are on it, those it's like an ATV with treads, right? Yeah, it's sort of like an ATV slash golf cart with the treads. I know I've seen them before. I think up at a sugar that bush has I saw one. All makings of an automated beer cart. That's all I'm but saying for sure. You could you could do a lot of other stuff with this thing. I assure you. Riding around the mountain, giving but, out beers. But I'm, it looks like it's got a bunch of satellites and GPS, and yeah, I guess you just tell it. I don't know if it does it follow you, like I mentioned. It's just like you got to have some sort of like device on you and it follows you wherever you're going. It just won't stop. It's like a terminator, it's just kind of like fall, hunting you down. it's gonna just run you down. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were friends, Mario, dude. This could be I a great we horror friends. movie for this thing. Like the fucking Dolagon, that, like stalks people. It's like you're out there in the woods and yeah. you just hear an engine going, it's fucking Dolagon <laughs> coming at you. Yep. I love this idea. I love the idea. And the treads are off. like I would just want to ride around on these bad boys. I know. It's super sweet. There's a video on the website. So here's the how it works section. How it works section. So step 1, Dolagon picks up skiers at bottom and autonomously drives them to the top. Nice. Step 2, skiers unload at top and instruct Dolagon to begin its descent. Step 3, while skiing, Dolagon is driving itself to the bottom and murdering bystanders. Damn. Step so four, if we have like a, a Tesla, a self-driving Tesla. Can't you just put treads on that bad boy and do the same thing? Who can stop you? Dude, I get my Cybertruck. I'm doing this shit with it. <laughs> Step four. Put some fucking and treads on it and everybody run for your life because that thing's going to run everything over. Yeah. Go through lift lines. And there's some videos on the website. It's pretty cool. I would check it out. Dolagon goes through a lift line. That's the next headline I see. This this. thing is awesome. I could just see so many people, like so many lawsuits from this thing. I could see dipshits like falling in front of Dolagon and it runs them over. Like, what did you think? It's on autopilot. Don't get in its way. Ski somewhere else. Like, why would you ski in front of the Dolagon? Then again, somebody's going to want to jump it or huck off it. Like, this could be something. Of course. Remember like... uh that like w- super old like snl skit with happy fun ball yeah it's like don't taunt happy fun ball it's like that's right don't taunt Dolagon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome it's pretty sweet though if you got some say you had a ton of land and of course no a, you're not building a lift there there's some sort of zoning laws or issues or you're just lazy and you just bought this bad boy now we have this and we have that kickstarter with that Little mini rope tow, yeah. So they're coming up with all kinds of crazy ways to, to access terrain that has no lift service. So think of this: tremendous. you're in the middle of nowhere, in your private yurt. You got the fire going. You're settling down. You're getting all cozy. A fucking dolagon just rolls right through that thing. <laughs> it could happen. It could happen in the middle of the night, of course, because yeah. Somebody got run over and the dolagon still going around. <clears throat> Cannot compute. Cannot compute. <laughs> kill all humans. That's <laughs> <laughs> very possible. It could get hacked. Maybe they some, like, it's some crappy software. Great, great setup for a horror movie. It's like, I gotta the, say. It's like that. Uh, what was that movie? Frozen. When people get stuck on the chairlift. Oh, that was the. Uh, yeah. And the it wolves came. Frozen. It was in, like New England, too. It's like right outside of Boston. It's like, yeah, that's really going to happen well, you know same thing it could it could it could and this could be the follow up it could this is uh in the summer, like Jason's running around killing everybody, and in the winter, this is dolagon <laughs> the dolagon is out there the it's Dolgon. like the yeti yep all right, well, that thing is awesome, and speaking of awesome we're gonna roll into our main topic. We had the honor I had the honor to interview Holly Flanders who if you're unfamiliar she is an inductee in the US ski and snowboard Hall of Fame this season awesome she is a three-time world cup ski race champion former Olympian she started her own clinics out in Park City Utah her son is a X Games world champion nice she's doing motivational speaking She's Her motivational a, speaking site looked pretty pretty badass. I was like, very interesting. Yeah, she's also a competitive mountain biker. Like, She is just yeah. an awesome lady. She was great enough to take time to chat with us. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. So please check it out. Holly Flanders. All right. And we have another very special guest. We're honored to have Holly Flanders, a U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame inductee this year, former Olympian, motivational speaker, Holly, thank you so much for joining this week. Thank
1: you. It's a pleasure.
0: And we had a little bit of logistical issues getting uh, connected here, but I'm glad everything worked out. I really appreciate your time. And could you uh, go into a little introduction, a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yes. Um, I, I grew up in New Hampshire, skied Mount Sunapee and Pat's Peak, and then went to Burke Mountain Academy. And then I I... Scraped my way up to the U.S. ski team and won three World Cup downhills. Um, I was in two Olympics, 80 and 84. That was Lake Placid and Sarajevo. I won two national championships. I don't know. I think uh, probably six World Cup podiums,
0: something like that. Just so many of them.
1: 21 top tens. I'm trying to dig up the stats. But anyway, that's kind of it.
0: No, that's, that's really cool. I mean, it's, your story is awesome. And, you know, um, and you mentioned like Sarajevo, too, you know, with all the craziness in the world, like, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of like, what Sarajevo, what the Olympic site yes. looks like now. It's like this, like, you know, crazy post apocalyptic, you know, yeah. venue now after war, and it's horrible. And, you know, there's all kinds of craziness going on in the world. And, you know, skiing is one of those things that you know it seems superfluous to a lot of folks, but those who of us who who love it and are passionate about it, you realize it's almost like this, this Zen, this this. It's like the one when everything is wrong in the world, it's like the one thing that's kind of makes you feel right.
1: It's a constant. The yes. Good nature. Gravity. And nature and gravity and movement and flow.
0: If there's one thing we can at least depend on, it's gravity, right?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and taxes,
0: and taxes, right? <laughs> Death and taxes, as Ben Franklin said. He, he wasn't yep. a big skier though, so he forgot about gravity. That's right. <laughs> um, so one thing I liked on your on your website is you mentioned that one of your coaches referred to you as a bag of bolts. Yes. Um, what was it about skiing that made you want to you know keep going and push yourself to get to that highest level? <sighs>
1: I was called a bag of bolts in a slalom ski race at Killington when I was 18 years old. I was off balance. My arms were flailing. Basically, my talent was gliding on the snow, the the glide, you know, the straight glide where you kind of let your skis float and and it feels insecure because Mm -hmm. it feels more secure to stay on your edges, but that's slower. So I learned, I learned the upper body discipline and the turns later on, but the ability to let the skis run fast is, is kind of rare and you can't train that in. So I was, you know, I was, I was still, I I loved skiing and I, I knew I was making my way up the ranks, but in a slalom I was hopeless and I didn't look good in the downhills either, but I was fast so that kept me going, and I really loved it, and it I just knew you just kind of know something at, at your core when it's right, and I just knew that it was right to keep on going
0: and that's tough, especially at that age too, when, you know that's that's sort of the age where you it's like, hey, go to college and you can go get this yeah. degree and do this and uh, you know people' kind of probably i'm sure people told you to go, "Oh, maybe you should go and focus on something else instead but absolutely, but that yes. determination
1: i, mean, I Actually, I I went to Middlebury College – well, I I went to Burke my senior year in high school and then did a postgraduate year there and trained a lot and raced a lot and started racing some downhills. And then I, I did go to Middlebury College for one semester in Vermont, and I took that winter off to race. And that winter I made the U.S. B team, from my downhill results. So that was the end of, you know, going to college full time for me. And I, I just kept going from there.
0: <laughs> I think you made the right choice. Yeah. You could have been an accountant.
1: Yeah. Well, I can still be an accountant.
0: <laughs> In but, the world. There's a Holly that's an, an accountant. an
1: exciting 10 years on the, world, on the World Cup circuit.
0: That's pretty incredible. And I guess, I'm sure you've seen it now. I'm guessing the, the way they train, like, you know, the, the, training process that you were dealing with, or what you were, uh, subject, not subjected to that's the wrong word, uh, which <laughs> you are part of at Burke has probably changed a lot than, than how they're training
1: kids today. Well, there, there are some changes, but, um, I haven't kept touch with exactly how they're training today, but I know that a lot of, a lot of it remains the same. You know, it's it's a lot of focus and hard work and um the, the basics are the same. The equipment has changed. The equipment, the equipment has changed, yeah. Yeah. I like I like that the equipment has changed to the shape skis. They're so much more fun to ski.
0: Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I guess back then too, you know, that that time there really weren't Americans making waves on the world cup on the international circuit it's like true. there are now so you probably felt even more kind of outside the uh the bubble than true like now you have a lindsey vaughn you have Mikhail schiffer and you see have these folks yeah. who are winning gold medals they're on podiums or making it to the olympics yeah. and you're like oh well, i can be like her you're huh. a little more of a pioneer then right i mean you had some, true get a barbara cochran you know obviously after you know Watching yes. Orion this uh this Olympics and you know seeing him and his mother, which was great, but there wasn't a whole bevy of of women skiers that you could look to for inspiration.
1: We had Cindy Nelson, who had won a couple of World Cups before I came onto the scene, and then um, but we were doing poorly as a team, <laughs> and we pulled together as a team. Our coaches had a meeting and then said, "Listen." you guys need to pull together. You need to act as a team. You need to cheer each other on, even if you don't feel like it, you know, if you finished your race and you want to go to your room cause you're tired and you hurt, you go to the finish and you cheer on every American till they finish. And if you don't like a person, you learn to put up with them and we actually pulled together as a team. And if there were people we didn't like, we actually started Accepting each other and then liking each other. It was funny, but that really helped us. And then the coaches told us to stop copying the Europeans and innovate, you know, ski our own way. That made a big difference, too. So in 1982, the U.S. women's ski team won the Nations Cup, which means all the combined points of the women's team were the most we won that, which had never happened before, and it hasn't happened since yet.
0: Yet. <laughs> so
1: we had a good amount of depth. I won two World Cups that year and got some other top tens, a lot of top tens. So that, that was really exciting that we were the best team in the world in 1982.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And again, the, the fact that it hasn't been done since then is pretty oh, yeah, incredible that, too. Yeah. So one of the things that um, you know, kind of I I I took notice of when I was looking at your your nomination is about who nominated you. And again, we kind of mentioned, you know, Barbara Cochran and and Ryan. So who was the one who nominated you? Because to get into the the US ski and snowboard hall of fame you have to be nominated by someone and then a couple other people have to kind of I guess agree or. or um, right. Like yeah. a second, third, and fourth person to kind of back you up for this nomination.
1: Right. It was my son, Alex Schlopi. And he was like, Mom, I want to nominate you into the US Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. Okay. But Alex was a uh, slope style and big air skier he's not competing now but in 2011 he won the first world championships in slope style skiing and he won the x games in big air skiing and then he also won some do tour and world cup competitions so um you know he's he's made it quite to the top himself, but he That's wanted awful, to nominate yeah. me. And then my coaches all wrote letters of recommendation.
0: That's, it's really beautiful. And, you know, again, I just want to, you know, I've I mentioned it on our podcast before and I, want to mention too, too, like one of the things that's, we've been doing this for like six years now. One of the things that's changed originally, my my co-host and I, it was us going up every weekend to Vermont. We did a share house at Killington. We'd be skiing up there. Mm -hmm. And now life has taken us in different directions. And now I'm a dad, I have two kids and I'm trying to give them the gift of skiing. I'm trying to like, I don't have much to give them. I'll be honest. (laughs) So it's one of the things I'm trying to share with them and bring this love of of the sport to them at a young age. I didn't get into it I mean, I skied maybe three times until I was 30. And then mm. I, I I discovered it later in life. And I was like, and I get to see those, you know, because I had those kids, and those friends in school who would, you know, oh, we're going to Breckenridge for Christmas break. We're going to Vail. And I'm like, oh, that seems cool. But my family doesn't do that. And eventually, like, I got to do it. And I want to give them, like, I want to put them in the mountains. I want to show them what it's about and give them that gift. And that's why, yes. I like, see something that your your son, like, you gave him that gift obviously and how was that as a mother like growing up and uh, and teaching him
1: well i it was it was great i taught him to ski and then while i i ran women's ski workshops at park city and canyons for several years and while i was doing that i would put him in the ski lessons And I kind of pushed him towards racing a little bit. He didn't want to race, which was fine, but he started building jumps with his little friend, Joss Christensen, who Joss actually went on to win the first gold medal in the Olympics in 2014 in slope style skiing. But um, it was really fun watching him make his way up the ranks. And he just worked. He loved it so much. He worked really hard at it and, um i I was so proud i think when he won the x games i was more proud of him than i have been of myself you know when i won my first world cup
0: so so that was exciting yeah and how old was he when you you first got him out there
1: he was uh i think he was three when i first got him out there yeah
0: okay all right, good. I'm just, I'm trying to t- do the math in my head. I'm like, okay, my son is four now. And I, I had him on the leash at first and mm-hmm. I finally got him off the leash this year. I let him follow me down. And Excellent. And he's doing it. And again, it's like, again, I, I have no credentials or medals or anything. Like I'm just a, a sad old guy in a basement trying to ski. But That's to, all you need. <laughs> to see him come down behind me and follow me down. It was like one of the greatest feelings like of my life. I I was so happy. That's great. I can, uh, I I mean, it doesn't, doesn't match a a son getting an X Games medal or anything, but uh, it's one of those things like, you know, as a parent, you just, you want to feel like you're doing, you want those little signals that you're doing something right, you know, because there's so many days where you're yelling at them. You're like, I suck as a parent. Like Uh, I need to step my game up. Like those, those little tiny nuggets of, of inspiration and, and, and happiness is, is just, you know, keeps you going.
1: Well, your kids are lucky that you're getting them out skiing because that's an amazing gift to give a youngster.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And and thank you. And I know you mentioned your son, Alex. How has your family shaped your ski career?
1: Oh, that's a great question. My dad got us skiing on weekends at Mount Sunapee as a family when I was young. I learned when I was three, my sister, Deb, Landers is five years older than me. And she decided she wanted to ski race. So she went on to become one of the top, you know, most promising downhillers on the world cup circuit at the age of 17. But then she broke her leg and couldn't compete at that level after that. So she started coaching at Pat's peak when she was 20 and I was 15 I joined that program and got some great coaching and uh, my brother Jay taught me to ride a motorcycle and hmm. he went in some little local bike races you know time trials and that stuff and I followed suit and then I went on to keep bike racing and in 1984 I actually qualified for the <laughs> Olympic trials in bike racing
0: That's and I was so trying cool. to do
1: both skiing and bike racing but I I learned that we need to focus on one thing because by trying to do both, I, I wasn't going to do my best at either, <laughs> but yeah, my family has had, had a great influence on my skiing.
0: Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's so cool. And yeah, it's, it's amazing to even get to that point where you're in the Olympics. And cause that was the, at the previous era where they had the Olympics in the same year, the winter <clears throat> and the summer. Yeah. Now, yeah. if they had had that staggered, do you think you could have done both?
1: I might've been able to. Yeah. But with them the same year, there was no way I was get I was beating myself to a pulp trying to train for both.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, those are, they're both grueling sports with, with rough consequences. If you're, uh, if you're not a hundred percent in the zone.
1: Yes. True. <laughs> Good way to put it. So now
0: after you were skiing, you kind of did a lot more with, with cycling after that, right?
1: I well. After skiing, I started racing mountain bikes and I raced, um, kind of, I was raising kids and racing here and there. So I didn't really focus on it, but I did race the pro expert level. And then I got to the point where I was winning some age class, you know, national races, but I was just, that was just for fun. I mean, it was a great way to, to, um, segue out of skiing. It was a sport that was as exciting, but um, I could just do for fun.
0: But you I put didn't... the kids behind you too, right in the little, uh, the little bike carrier.
1: Oh, absolutely! Oh, <laughs> yeah. <If you> <laughs> but one thing I didn't do, I didn't race the the downhills, the mountain bike downhill races, because I'd already done that, and I get to the point where. I could keep up with anybody on the cross country downhill, you know, cross country, you go up and Mountain down. Biking, right. Yep. I could keep up with anybody on the downhills, but I I just didn't want to go into downhill racing on bikes because I already did that. I survived it. Yeah. Good for me. <laughs> Enough of that.
0: <laughs> now, again, this is a, I'm, I'm just, I'm just grabbing out of the air here. Where do you think there's been more of a technology change in, uh, since you were, you know, racing in biking or in skiing?
1: Oh, that woo, that's a tough question because the skis and the bindings are so much better now. The shaped skis are so much better, so much but easier bikes, for beginners. Wow, yes, but the bikes—they've come a long way, and now with the e-bikes, that's just crazy. know well,
0: you're just cheating at this point. It's just like a scooter. True. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I just.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just bought a, a new mountain bike two years ago. And I, I was mountain biking again, just doing a lot of cross country stuff back in like the nineties. The and I bought a new bike this year with like the, uh, last year, the, the seat, like the seat post, it kind of like yes. scooches down and stuff. And yes. I was like, oh, this is a great idea. Like just the technology, like those little things, which have, I'm, again, like I had before then was 20 years old. And that's made a big difference. And you mentioned downhill mountain biking. I mean, the suspension travel they have now versus yes. probably back in the 80s. Oh, the suspensions. You're coming. taking like a 10 speed with thicker tires, like downhill at 60 miles an hour, pretty much, right?
1: Well, when I was racing in the late 80s, we had, oh, the Pro Flex was the first bike with the, you know, the full suspension. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so we had full suspension, but it sure has come a long ways.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that must have been, if if you gave one of those pro riders that bike from the 80s, now they'd be like, I'm not riding this thing.
1: It's so much harder. You can't go as fast. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: That's really, you know, one of the most beautiful things about these sports is the technology has changed so much where you can do so much more being, not needing that, that crazy, like, you know, top 1% of the talent to maximize what your tools are.
1: Like the fat skis and the powder and the crap. Oh, prep. yeah. What a difference.
0: <laughs> yeah. Imagine taking your old downhill racing skis into a foot of powder versus. What oh, you're, I've done that. I, I bet that. you have. But <laughs> as soon as you get these new like 125s underfoot, you're probably like, yeah, this is way more fun.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like you're on water skis.
0: <laughs> so easy, right? Yeah. So, kind of on the same token is that, what do you think have been the, uh, the best and worst changes that you've seen in the ski and snowboard industry since you've been involved?
1: Oh, the best is the the, the equipment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the the skis, like I mentioned, and the bindings are much better. But also the clothing, you know, it's it's much more um, water repellent, but it, it's breathable, and also there's some stretch, so that's really nice.
0: Probably warmer too, right?
1: Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> we had the big old down puffy coats and stuff back back in the day. Those were good. Those were nice and warm too, but... Um, not aerodynamic enough though, right? No, not for <laughs> downhill. You were losing two, three miles an
0: hour with that big puffy coat. At least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any, uh, any worse changes that you've...
1: Um, Let's see. That's a good question. Well, I don't like the corporatization of, of the ski areas, but I mean, we could spend a... A lot of time talking about that i i liked it when the ski areas were privately owned and everything but having the the passes the epic and the icon and so forth that's really nice because you can travel and ski different ski areas so it's a good and a bad
0: right yeah there. yeah i know everyone's kind of and we're part of it so jumping on the the epic fail bandwagon with you know this year yeah. is obviously you know they dropped the price and as we saw like everybody bought it and everybody showed up, especially the big holiday weekends. And with all the issues with COVID and getting employees, like Mm -hmm. it was was just messy. Um, And are are you still in park city now?
1: Yes. I actually uh, moved 20 minutes away to Heber, Utah, which is a lot quieter. Park city got really, really busy. It's still, it's a beautiful place and the skiing is amazing there. Uh, But heber's quieter it's a it's kind of a ranching town but it is growing like crazy now too
0: (laughs) i think everything kind of you know the the salt lake side and then the park city side it's it's just growing in whatever direction it can because yes i know i know a few people that left the east coast and and headed out there and i
1: yeah
0: every single day
1: (laughs) busting at the seams out there but then i I call it New Hampshire on steroids because the mountains are awesome and well the lakes aren't that great but there are some lakes they're mostly reservoirs but the mountain biking is incredible and of course I love the mountain biking out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what is your um what's your uh, your home mountain now?
1: Uh, Park City and Deer Valley. Okay. I see both of those. I actually coach the Wasatch freestyle ski team at Deer Valley. Um oh, very cool. I just coached like the big the young big mountain skiers to 10 to 12 year olds. And um it's a it's great. That's a fun age too.
0: It's like before they get a little too like you know cocky and annoying.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're they're just really excited and those and they don't want to ski any groomed stuff. No. So we're all over the mountain except no groomed. <laughs> oh, that's it's fun. So cool. And
0: what are, of all your accomplishments, you know, you talked about your World Cups, um, Olympics. What of your accomplishments are you the most proud of?
1: It has to be my first World Cup win at Badgestein Austria in 1982 because I was the underdog. I was the one who was always scraping my way up. I didn't Bag have... Of bolts. I, yeah, I, I did a bag of bolts. <laughs> I didn't have the natural talent. I just kept going and I did, I knew, you know, I, I knew in my gut that it was the right thing to do. And I had the gliding talent. But um when I won that first World Cup, it was like wow, me? That's incredible. I won a World Cup. <laughs> and then I won two more of them and but breaking through that ceiling was amazing for me.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's probably a good segue into like what you're you're doing now because you're doing motivational speaking.
1: Yes, I have a book that's going to come out soon, sometime later this year. It's it's uh the the secret to going from worst to first. It doesn't have an official title yet, but it's it's the seven decisions that determine destiny. The seven things that I learned in my quest, you know, going from worst to first that really apply to everyday life and, and you know, being our best and getting to the next level in our lives. So um, Kristen Cooper, who was on the U.S. ski team when I was and I think she won six World Cups, she is helping me edit it. And she is just amazing. And I'm also doing some um, motivational or inspirational speaking. And uh, that's several years ago. I was mountain biking at the 8,000 foot level at park city. It's called the, um, the mid mountain trail. And I looked out over park city and the leaves were turning colors and I'm like, okay, What's going to be the next chapter of my life? Because you know the kids are almost grown. I put everything into raising my kids, and what's going to happen from now on? It was a it was a, a change, time of change, and what really came to me was that I want to make a difference. I want to share my wisdom because I have a lot of wisdom. I've been through a lot and learned. So many things that I think can really help people. So my driving force behind all of this is to make a difference in some people's lives and inspire.
0: And I mean, again, that's that's the greatest thing you can give back to the world is is sharing your <laughs> your gifts and your knowledge. Exactly. And I, I love your um your seven decisions here. Like I, I was just reading through them. They're on your website, hollyflanders.com, if anyone wants to check it out. And uh, yeah. No, I love that number one. Focus on one talent, as you kind of mentioned before with your skiing and biking. You could have done both, but you, you know, focused on your skiing. Yes, um, that's that's it's it's almost like saying get out of your way sometimes because like that's, yes. a lot of times it's our own we're our own worst enemies where we try to do True. too much instead True. of just finding that one thing that that we can be the light, we can be that inspiration, and and just focus on that. Yes. Yeah, but I I do love these um this decisions the uh, the seven decisions. So, yeah, hollyflanders.com. And any other advice as a ski parent that you can give?
1: Make it fun. It's got to be fun. It or it just won't work. Make it fun um, I always tell my favorite story from, you know, when I was ski racing, how I got up, you know, climbed another level in my skiing was one day I was in sold in Austria at a training camp and we were running giant slalom time trials and I was placing last, you know, with the U S women's ski team. And there's some really top giant slalom skiers there. And I was thinking, Okay, I'm on a plateau, I'm placing 20th in World Cup downhills, and I'm not advancing from that. I'm I'm stuck on this plateau, and I don't want to remain stuck there. If I'm going to keep ski racing, I I really want to, um, you know, get to a higher level. And I'd been working so hard and training so hard and trying really hard, and all I'd been focused on was, you know, trying hard and how I was placing, stuff like that. So I'm thinking something has to change. I kind of stand there and empty my mind out and look out over the Alps. And I realize, huh, I've been here all these days and I haven't even seen these mountains. <laughs> and they're incredibly beautiful. They're unbelievable. There's you know glistening snow and glaciers coming down and the, the browns and the, the grays, blue sky. I hadn't even noticed it. So I just took it in. I go, wow, I get to be here. I get to do this. So um, I just let it all in. And then I started skiing with that feeling. And I was um, noticing how beautiful the turns felt. I was savoring the turns. And wow, I jumped into the giant slalom time trial and won that run. I was the fastest wow.
0: I'm going from 20th to first.
1: Well, there were only like probably eight or 10 girls, but I was placing okay. last in these giant slalom time trials at this training camp. So I won that time trial and the rest of the time trials, I either, you know, I won or I was up high in the rankings. And then that translated over to my racing season with the downhills. And, and that later that year I won the, um, national championships downhill in Alaska. And then I, the next winter I qualified and went to the 1980 Olympics in um, Lake Placid. So, you know, it was just one of my steps, but it, it got me to a higher level. So it's just noticing the beauty, putting yourself in the mindset where you're, you know, experiencing the beauty and what that does is it opens your heart and it puts you in a, a state of mind where you can succeed, where things flow better for you rather than, you know, being all constricted. I kind of look at it as a performance hack.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) like that
0: that art of being grateful, you know, just starting out there kind of, like I said, opens yourself up to to new opportunities and and new ways of looking at things. Exactly. That's a beautiful thing. It's huge. (laughs) Well, Holly, thank you so much for your time. Um, if people want more information, hollyflanders.com. Yes. Anywhere else they should go to check out more information about you? That'll
1: bring them, that'll get them right to me.
0: Excellent. And a huge congratulations on your induction to the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. Thank you. It's this weekend, right? Is it actually today?
1: It's um, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Saturday? Bretton Woods, Bretton Woods, Bretton Woods New Bretton Woods. Hampshire.
0: Beautiful. Holly, congratulations and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me.
1: Thank you, it's a pleasure.
0: All right, excellent. Congrats right. and enjoy the weekend.
1: Thanks, take
0: care. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Hope you everyone enjoyed that. If you want more information, Check us out at skibumpodcast.com or check her out at hollyflanders.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out at skibumpodcast.com. Socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, untapped at podcast. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Teresia, teresia.com. The code Teresia bum 15% off paradise skis, skis.com Use the code SKIBUM15, 15% off. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Stay high, stay fluid.
1: See ya.